Hello, and welcome to the Church on the Hill podcast. If you enjoy this podcast, we invite you to join us live this Sunday at 500 Sands Drive in San Jose, California. Visit churchonthehill.com for service times and directions, and also to learn more about connecting, growing, and serving at Church on the Hill. Now, please enjoy our sermon at Church on the Hill. It's great to be with you again today. It's been a while, but we dearly love, we dearly love Church on the Hill. We do. And we always look forward to our time with you. You know, I feel like, and maybe you feel the same way, I feel like we are living in a really crazy, mixed-up world where everything has been turned upside down. Maybe I'm just feeling it more acutely because, well, I've recently been in Ukraine, and this morning, actually, we have word that our city is undergoing a tremendous struggle between the uh, the Russian and the Ukrainian forces right now. Uh, much of our city has now been destroyed, including the seminary uh, in the city that has been burned down. So um, my two friends that I asked you to pray for on Friday night, for those who were there, I'm still wait, waiting word today. There is no word on, on whether they are dead or alive. And I keep praying for them. And uh, we'll see. Hopefully later on today we'll have more word than they'll be able to send a message that they're okay. Crazy mix-up world. On March 1st, uh, a lady, a beautiful 46-year-old mother of two, Svetlana Julina, was driving her husband, Andre, and her two kids, Archom and Miroslav, down the Zhitomir Highway, which we, uh, was very close to our house. We often took it. And was getting them away from Kiev, hoping to get them out to western Ukraine where it would be more safer for them. Weaving their way around the debris that was on the roads, there was suddenly a large bang. And Svetlana leans over, uh, slumps over into her husband's shoulder, who grabs the wheel and tries desperately, not completely successfully, to steer the, the car toward a safe stop. He uh, has to climb out the window because his thoughts have to turn to saving his two children, eight and ten years old. He gets the older one out, and, and he gets him to safety. But as he does this, he's shot in the leg by that same sniper, apparently. But he's got one more son, his eight-year-old. And he limps around to get his eight-year-old out of the car. His eight-year-old... Fusses a little bit. Dad, there's a hole in your leg. And just as he says this, the sniper blows a hole in this eight-year-old's leg. Little Miroslav is going to be, has pins and a brace in his leg for the next eight months. And as the dad was with his own wounded leg getting Miroslav to safety, at least to the other side of the car, he takes another bullet in the leg. And then the sniper continues to shoot their car in case there's anybody else in there. They survived, Andre and his sons. But later that day, Svetlana's parents came, not in a car. They came walking with a wheelbarrow, risking their own lives to walk up to this front of the Russian army with a wheelbarrow. And they took the lifeless body of their daughter out of the car 
a few of her belongings, and they wheeled her away where she could, where she could be buried. And they buried her. And this is just one story I picked out of hundreds and thousands to share with you today. So you would pray for Ukraine. And when you go to Philip, you cry. I spent, I don't know, 75, 85 bucks yesterday filling up my car. It's a new record for me here in America. I didn't complain. I prayed for Ukraine. When you go to the, you go to the gas station, instead of griping and complaining, how about just remembering to pray for Ukraine, that there are people who don't even have a gas station any longer to fill up at, that there are people pinned down in their homes, in the homes of their loved ones. They're caring for people whose apartment buildings, people who are being targeted by a great evil currently, targeting civilians. Imagine taking your wife to the, the birthing hospital, maternity hospital, thinking she will be safe. And you come back not to collect your baby, your healthy new baby and her, your wife, but to collect their bodies because your maternity hospital was bombed. You only have to imagine that. There are many men in Ukraine right now who are living that reality. In our city, a beautiful young man, a follower of Christ, with eyes that reflected a life, a life without regret, the innocence of life without regret, is gunned down while helping people he barely knows but loves anyway because the love of Christ is in him, helping them escape. And he's gunned down. Human humanitarian corridors opened up for evacuation and then targeted like fish in a barrel. This is the reality that thousands and thousands and perhaps millions of Ukrainians are living in right now. It's a crazy, mixed-up world. I don't get it. I don't understand it. You know, here we are in the 21st century, and we are acting like it's the 20th century. You would have thought that we, we, we would have learned from recent memory and history, all that has taken place and the millions of people that were killed, the genocides that took place, and now to re be repeating these here in the 21st century, it doesn't make sense to me. I, I don't get it. And where, where is it we turn in time? Can we still trust that God is on the throne when things like this are still happening? Has he abdicated? Can we still believe that Jesus is who he said he was and is? Can we still believe that? I mean, this is terrible, horrible stuff. And I, I just know that what you are seeing on TV right now is a smidgen of what's actually happening. The millions of people who are being terrorized well, there is an answer. And it's the word of God. You see, John, when he wrote his gospel, he wrote it 
to the entire world. He didn't write it just to the Jews, just to the Gentiles. He wrote it to the whole world, believers, unbelievers alike. He wanted to strengthen our faith, and he wanted, he wanted everybody who doesn't believe in God, he wanted them to believe. And over and over we see in his, in his book that these things are written, these things are done so that we might believe, that we might know, that we would go on further to read the rest of the story, to read to the end of the book and know we win. It doesn't mean we don't shed tears along the way. It just means that we know we win because Jesus already has the victory. I want to share with you the story of Lazarus, which I have become to believe is the most important of the miracles in the book of John, uh, save the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But without this uh, resurrection of Lazarus, we have a difficult time because Jesus either is God and he can raise Lazarus, or he isn't God and he doesn't raise Lazarus. This is a make-or-break story, and our, our story actually begins in chapter 10, the end of chapter 10 of the Gospel of John, where the Jews are trying to kill Jesus because he has made himself out to be God. Now, if anybody ever says to you, Jesus never said he was God, he just said he was the Son of God, he was Son of Man, he was this and he was that, and he calls out the God, don't believe it. It's not true. Jesus said that he is the unique son of God. This is no mistaking. It is because of him and what he said that the Jews were trying to kill him. If he had just said, I'm a child of God, kind of like how we say it, no problem there. That's okay. But no, he makes himself, he forgives sins in the name of the Father. And you'll see what else he says today. There can be no mistaking that Jesus is making himself out to be God. So, as we move on into the, uh, the gospel of John to chapter 11, we see the story of Jesus raising Lazarus. Now, this is not just your average story. I always thought that, you know, the raising of Lazarus, that's kind of a one and done, move on to the next miracle kind of miracle. But it isn't. Jesus takes a week to construct and set up this miracle in a great drama form. You know, he could have, he could have just healed Lazarus from where he was. And you'll see on the map that uh, Jesus was in Jerusalem, and that's where they wanted to kill him. He actually just left, making himself disappear through the midst of them, and he went to the place uh, east of the Jordan, Bethany, east of the Jordan. Now you'll see that there's a Bethany east and there's Bethany west. Bethany west is right near Jerusalem. Bethany east is about a day's walk from Jerusalem. And it was right there in that region, Perea, where Jesus uh, left to, to get away from the people who were trying to kill him because it was not his time yet. So in Bethany West, near Jerusalem, a certain man was ill. His name was Lazarus, and he had two sisters, Mary and Martha. And Lazarus was sick. So his sisters sent to Jesus and said, Hey, the man whom you love is ill. Now, Jesus loves everybody. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have what? 
Eternal life. That's right. So we know that Jesus loves everybody, but Jesus had a special friendship with this Lazarus. And, and so they sent to him, the one whom you love is ill. Jesus is just beginning to set it up. He knows exactly what's going to happen. He knows exactly the condition that uh, Lazarus was in. He did not need to receive a message, message saying that Lazarus was ill. He already knew. But he stays there anyway. He says, he says this illness does not lead to death. Now, we know what he means now. But back then, they thought, oh, okay, well, he's sick and he's going to get better. No problem. It's for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. So it says that when he stayed there, now Jesus loved Martha and his sister, her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Now, when I read that, I think, what kind of friend does that? He's ill. Go see him. Go heal him. He stayed two days longer. And why did he do that? Because he's building the story. He's building the drama. Now remember, where there is drama, where there's a story, it's not a very good story if you don't have tension, suspension, friction, those things. So Jesus is building on that. He's going to make it crescendo into a, into a huge drama. And then we're going to see a culmination. So after Jesus said this to the disciples, uh, so then after this, he said to his disciples, this is, you know, two days later, he says, let us go to Judea again. Now, Judea is the region. It's not the city. It's the region where Jerusalem and Bethany West are. But the disciples were still very scared. They remembered how they barely escaped from there with their lives. And he, they said to him, Rabbi, the Jews are were now just seeking to stone you. And are you going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. Now, this is a lot to grasp for us, let alone the disciples whom Jesus was saying this to for the first time. What's all this talk about darkness and light and, and stumbling and walking and everything else? Just understand this very clearly. Jesus was indicating to them that he was there with them right then. The light of the world was with them. If they walk with him, they don't walk in darkness if they walk with him they can see the rocks in the road they can see what's happening and they won't stumble but if they want to just go their own way they want to stay there in bethany east well so be it but you are going to be walking in the dark there's going to come a time when they would not have the light of the world in their presence so after saying these things he said to them our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken them. Jesus loved talking in the abstract. But his disciples, not being terribly educated, didn't always get it. And they were still scared. Not wanting to go back anywhere near to Jerusalem, let alone just one or two miles away. So they said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus has spoken of his death. 
But they thought he meant taking rest and sleep. So Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. You see, Jesus is building this miracle, you know, this big drama for a potential miracle, huge. He wants to make it big. He wants to make it unmistakable. If Jesus goes and Lazarus is still just hanging on, then people are going to say, oh, well, you know, that can be explained. You know, maybe he put some ointment on or something like that, you know. Or maybe he revived. If people, if Jesus goes there and, and Lazarus is only like dead for, you know, a few hours or a day or something like that, they'll say, oh, you know, maybe he wasn't completely dead to begin with. You know, there's a way to explain all that. Jesus wants to make sure that Lazarus is not only dead, but Lazarus is good and dead. Four days. Four days of being wrapped up like a mummy. Nowhere to breathe. No way to move, no way to breathe. If he wasn't dead going into that tomb, in a day or two, he's for sure going to be dead. So, so what happens? We see Thomas, called the twin. And this is the first lesson for us today. If you're taking notes, make a note of this. Thomas called the, the twin, but we know him as what? Doubter. That's right. We know him as a doubter. God forgive us for that. Because Thomas says to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. He's the, Thomas the devoted in my book. Thomas the devoted. And later on when Jesus shows up to the other disciples and he doubts, right? He says, I want to see, I want to see the hand, the, the nail scars in his hand. I want to see the, the spear thrust through his side. I want to see what it's like there. And when, and then what does he do? Does he storm off, go back to his home, and, and live life again? No, he sticks around until Jesus shows up. So what is it for us when you're having doubts, when you're wondering, when it seems like the world is not making sense anymore? Hang in there. Be devoted. We all doubt, okay? I, I'm pretty sure that even Scott... Pastor Scott has had doubts at different times. I've had doubts. Be devoted. Because one thing I can tell you, not just from the Word of God, but from my own experience, is that Jesus always shows up. He always does. Thomas the devoted. And why does it take Jesus four days to go from Bethany east to Jerusalem? As you look at that map again, I want you to notice something. I want you to see that there is a, a town up north, up higher, and it's called Cana. It's called Cana. And it's, it looks uh, like it's very, very far away, but you have to understand this is a land that's not very big. Cana is only a four-day walk from Bethany East. So as we look at that, we can realize that Jesus was really only about a half, I mean, one day walk back to Jerusalem and Bethany West. And so he sets out on this trek, but it takes him four days to get there. Four days. Now we're into at least the sixth day of the miracle, perhaps longer. The sixth day of this great big drama that Jesus is setting up. 
So he goes back to, to there, and we see in verse 21 that he gets there, and Martha hears that Jesus is coming, and she runs and goes to the village where, you know, nearby where Jesus is. And she says, Lord, if you had been there, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. She's, she's so close, so, so close to understanding fully. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha's response is, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. You see, the Jews also mostly believed in a resurrection. But Jesus responds, and he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Now, we're going to be coming back here, but one thing I want you to see is that Jesus does not say, I have the power of sin and death. I have the power of life. I have the power of all this. No, he says, I am. I am the resurrection. I am the life. And so if we have the Jesus Christ living inside of us, if we have his Holy Spirit inside of us, we don't just have the power of the resurrection. We don't just have the power of life. We have the resurrection, the life living inside of us. It's that strong. Jesus is the embodiment of those things. And everyone who lives and believes in me, he says, shall never die. He's talking about the spiritual death. And he asked her the very pointed question that he's asking every single one of us today. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. She professes her faith in Jesus Christ. And then we skip to verse 32. When Mary came to Jesus and saw him, she fell at his feet. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Second verse when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her weeping also, he was deeply moved in spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And when he saw this whole caravan of people, he got caught up in the emotion. And we see it says, Jesus wept. And we ask ourselves the question, Why does Jesus weep? He knows he can resurrect Lazarus. He knows he is going to, what he is going to do. But Jesus knew that Lazarus was dead even long before he was told. Yet still he cried. He knew that Lazarus would live again. Yet still he cried. He knew that death is not forever. Yet still he cried. He knew more about eternity and about the kingdom of God than anybody, than me or you or anybody. And yet still he cries. He cried because he sees the world the way it is. He sees the brokenness. He sees the pain and the hurt. He sees the world lost, dying, helpless, hopeless. He cried because Jesus is the God of all compassion. He cried because even though he is the son of God, he is also the son of man. And sometimes men cried. He cried knowing he was going to have to leave everyone that he loved, including his mother, with whom he would not even have a, a good farewell. He would simply, not even a hug, he would, he would be hanging on a cross of death and shame, paying for our sins, the things we've done wrong, 
He'd be doing that and have to say goodbye to his mother with his arms outstretched. Now, maybe I'm letting my personal experience flavor this sermon just a little because I've cried since having to leave Ukraine. I've cried. I cried in Ukraine in the office. I cried in my home. I cried on the airplane. I, there's even a booth at Panera Bread Cafe on Turkey Creek in Knoxville, Tennessee that bears my DNA because of the tears that fell and marked the spot Eric was here. Don't misunderstand me. I know our God reigns. I've read the end of the book. I know we win because Jesus already won. He has the victory, and we have the victory in him. But still, just because I know it's going to turn out all right does not mean that I don't cry at the sad parts. Jesus wept. Jesus had a, he had a good cry. He just full-on had a good cry. And because, just because he knew that there was going to be a happy ending, does not mean he can't cry during the sad parts. The drama is set. We have just the culmination to see what is going to happen with this. The Jews said, see how he loved him? But others could not, uh, said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have also kept this man from dying and Jesus was moved again, but he tells them to take away the stone. And Martha, the sister, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, as if Jesus didn't know this. Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead for days. It's going to smell. It may stink. And Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And here, the drama continues to build because Jesus lifted his eyes. At this point, there's no turning back. Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. It was a prayer not for his own good, but for the, prayer for the good of the people around him. And this is the culmination of the epic drama. If Lazarus walks, then we can know beyond a shadow of doubt that Jesus has the ability, has, this, has the power over, over sin and its destruction. We can believe that he can forgive our sins. We can believe that he can raise us when the time comes. But if he can't, if Lazarus does not walk out of that grave, then Christ is nothing more than a charlatan, a fake, a fraud. And you and I are just a bunch of suckers and saps. So when he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! And the man who had died came out. His hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. And many of the Jews, therefore, seeing what had happened, who had come with Mary, believed in Jesus. Amen? Come on, can I hear a few more hallelujahs? All right. Slava Hospodu.
Господь велик. Well, that is the story. And what that means for each and every one of us is that we can trust the Lord. And if you haven't trusted the Lord yet, if you haven't taken that step to trust in him, to say, okay, God, I surrender, I give you my life, then do that today. Make that decision. Make that choice. A choice to, to put your faith in Jesus Christ for eternity and for this life as well. I want to review something that we said. Jesus answered, Are there not 12 hours in the day? And if anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, the Holy Spirit residing in you, you are walking in the day. And you'll see all that's going on out there in the world, and it's not, it's not going to destroy you. You won't stumble over it because you have the light of the world living within you. So my challenge first is to know Jesus Christ as Savior. Make that decision to put your faith in him. And for the rest of us who are here, and perhaps you already have made that decision, you have asked Jesus Christ to be your Savior, to forgive your sins and make you his child. You're walking in the light, and yet you have a tendency to want to walk your own way. It's time. It's time to fall back to Jesus. I'm going to ask you who are believers here already, I'm going to ask you a question. And that is, are you, are we living our lives in such a way that we could be called the one whom Jesus loves? Have we focused on endearing ourselves to Jesus Christ, not because our salvation depends on it, because it doesn't, but just because we've grown to love him so much and thank him for all he's done for us? Have we focused on endearing ourselves to Jesus Christ in faith and fellowship and obedience that he says things like, wow, wow, look at Dave. Yeah, you know what? I like him. He's a guy after my own heart. Oh, look at Mike. Yeah, he gets me. He's, he serves me and my sheep. Yeah. If it was you or me in the tomb, instead of Lazarus, instead of Lazarus, if it was you or me in the tomb, dead, mummified, starting to stink, Would Jesus weep? Would he be overcome with emotion and cry? Are we striving to have such a close relationship with him that they would say, Lord Jesus, the one whom you love is worried about his friends in Ukraine. The one whom you love might be losing his job. Maybe that's someone here. The one whom you love is going through great difficulty. His wife has cancer. His children are sick. And would Jesus weep in compassion? Shall we pray? Our Father and our God, could I ask you to stand like we do in Ukraine? Would you do that for me as we talk to God? Would you stand with me? 
Father God, we praise you for your goodness. We praise you for your love and your grace that you would look down from heaven on us and love us. God, that's a love we don't understand. It's a love we don't get. We can't. We're, we're limited. But you, Lord God, you have done that. In your greatness, you have stooped to take on human form, human flesh, human skin, and you know our limitations. So God, I pray that you would use your Holy Spirit to convict us and to convict us of our need for you or our need to come closer and closer to you. Thank you, Lord God, for all you've done and continue to do. In Jesus' name, amen.